Everybody and welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and this week we're going to be taking a look at the career of a legend of the game who remains actively legendary. It's the man, the myth, the institution. It's Marcelo Bielsa. He is a man whose name alone conjures up strange anecdotes and odd memories. To some, he's the guy who sits on a cooler or crouches on the sideline, or he's the guy who walked out on Lazio after only a few days in charge, or he's the guy who admitted that he was totally spying on not just one opponent, but every opponent. And yet to other managers, like, say, Pep Guardiola, he's an inspirational manager whose philosophy regarding soccer is second to none. And that is a thing you'll hear about him from many different coaches. Here's Pep himself saying, my admiration for Marcelo Bielsa is huge because he makes his players much, much better. I still haven't met one former player from Marcelo Bielsa who speaks not good of him. He's the best coach in the world. Matias Almeida said he was unlike any other manager and was on top of details that most coaches wouldn't even imagine. Mauricio Pochettino said Bielsa was like his football father. And Diego Simeone said of all of his influences, Bielsa had taught him the most. With all that in mind, it would then be logical to assume that the trophy cabinets of the clubs and national teams Bielsa has managed over the years are overflowing. A manager who has impacted the way the game is played on pretty much every continent on the planet must have a wing of his house at the very least set aside for all of his silverware, except that he doesn't. Bielsa has won the Primera División of Argentina three times with two different teams. He won Olympic gold in 2004 and the championship with Leeds in 2020, hence why they're in the Premier League. He's come close a few other times, like the Copa America in 2004 or the Europa League final with Athletic Bilbao in 2012. But for the most part, the trophy cabinets have remained bare. So if he doesn't have countless rings and medals and winners' trophies and all that good stuff... Why is it then that he's so revered by so many people in the footballing world? Players, coaches, media members, they all adore him. To steal a line from Ferris Bueller, they think he's a righteous dude. And with that in mind, on today's episode, we're going to attempt to bridge that divide and determine why it is that Marcelo Bielsa is so revered. And because there are many stories, many anecdotes, many different things to be discussed, I will give you my six reasons up front so we can track them as we go. The number one reason is that his overall philosophy is one that speaks to the heart of every soccer fan. He's got a great philosophy. He goes after difficult jobs that aren't likely to be easy or fun. I think people always like a person who pursues a challenge. He gives chances to anyone willing to think and to work important combo. He sticks to his own personal code above all else. That would be number four. Number five, his approach to scouting and training is so intense, it's impossible not to want to learn about it. And number six, I think he's consistently a little bit of a cautionary tale, and flawed geniuses always generate respect and interest. So those are our reasons. Let's look at them one by one. First off, let's talk about his style, because that's maybe the thing that most people know about him, aside from the cooler sitting thing we mentioned before. If a Bielsa team is coming to your town, your football nerd friend will no doubt rub their hands together in anticipation, because Bielsa's foundational philosophy is that his teams should be attacking, high-tempo, possession-oriented, high-pressing, and capable of being ruthless on the break. A shorthand way of saying that would be that it's intense. And yes, that is intense in all caps. His preferred formation when he first got into management with Newell's Old Boys in 1990 tended to be a 3-3-1-3, but has since evolved into a variety of different shapes with the end goal 
always being of using width and player rotation to create numerical overloads. At Leeds, that tends to look like a 4-1-4-1. Bielsa prioritizes fullbacks who can carry the ball forward and get into attacking positions, centerbacks who can distribute well and are comfortable with the ball at their feet, and midfielders who can rotate and interchange as needed. When Bielsa's teams attack, they do so aggressively and with possession, prioritizing passing while moving to create confusion amongst defenses. The ideal Bielsa pass would be an incisive, line-splitting ball that is played on the run with the passer then continuing to an even more threatening position, thereby compounding the threat to the opposition. You can see... It's kind of complex. It takes a while to get used to it, but once you do, your team scores goals. To allow for this positional fluidity, Bielsa remains a believer in the idea that everyone should practice everything. There are certain specialized drills for specific positions, but by allowing every player to get familiar with lots of different responsibilities, he therefore allows for greater, for lack of a better way of putting it, I'll go with practiced improvisation on the field. It's all about self-sacrifice to learn the system and then having the discipline and physical fitness to properly execute that system. So we have our very simplistic blueprint for how Bielsa teams like to play. Let's talk a little bit more about Bielsa himself. Uh, I'm going to go to a CNN article announcing his resignation from the Argentina national team after they won Olympic gold. Here is what that article said. Bielsa had weathered Argentina's shock first-round elimination at the 2002 World Cup, followed by almost two years of nonstop criticism only to leave at a moment when his team were playing some scintillating football. Argentina's fortunes had changed for the better after Bielsa rebuilt the team, blending younger players such as forward Carlos Tevez and midfielders Javier Mascherano and Luis Gonzalez, alongside established names like Christian Gonzalez and Javier Zanetti. The article continues, his team played some excellent football at the Copa America in July before losing the final in unfortunate fashion to arch-rivals Brazil in a penalty shootout. Bielsa then took the U23 team, including a number of Copa America veterans, to the Athens Olympic Games where they won the gold medal in style with Tevez managing eight goals all by his lonesome. When this article came out, uh, Argentina had just won 3-1 to one away in Peru in World Cup qualification, leaving them comfortably second in the South American qualifying for the 2006 World Cup in Germany. It's all smooth, it's all happy, everyone's comfortable, everyone's getting along, and that, to some extent, is the problem. Because for Bielsa, it seems to be that once you stop challenging yourself, once things get easy... Then you stop growing, so it's on to the next thing. Former player Ricardo Lunari said of Bielsa, quote, He is a person who likes to focus on goals that aren't easy to achieve. Things that are easy bore him. He is interested in difficult challenges, challenges that have a lot to do with the heart that he can put into them and the people that he works with, end quote. So with that in mind, let's look at that second bullet point that makes Marcelo Bielsa so beloved. It's that he goes after challenging positions. And to do so, we're going to go over some of the jobs he's taken, specifically what the situation was at those jobs when he took over. Let's start with that Argentina team. Prior to Bielsa taking over Argentina in 1998, the national team had been managed by manager Daniel Pasarella, who had banned long hair, earrings, and homosexual players from his squad. Not great, Daniel. Not great. For those and other reasons, key players refused to participate in the 1998 World Cup, in which an Argentina squad with a lot of hype crashed out in the quarterfinals. That they had gotten there at all was very much perceived as in spite of Pasarea as opposed to because of him. So then Bielsa takes over, changes up the squad, brings in some new faces, has the initial setbacks that we've already talked about, then gets the team bought in and playing very well. They win the Olympics, 
everything is harmonious, everything is happy, and that means it's on to the next challenge. So after a three-year absence in which he recovered from his own grueling demands, he took over the national team of Chile in 2007, shortly after they finished third in their group at the 2007 Copa America, uh, before being defeated 6-1 to by Brazil in the knockout round, the same Brazil team that beat Bielsa's Argentina in the final. They had also failed to qualify for both the 2002 and 2006 World Cups prior to Bielsa's arrival. So what we're trying to get at here is that he's not taking over Brazil. He's not staying with Argentina. He's moving to another national team that requires a lot of oversight and innovative thinking and essentially allows him to build something greater than what they were from before he arrived. But more on that later. At Lazio, later on in his career, he became the sixth manager in six years when he succeeded Stefano Pioli in 2016. He lasted two days, but that's slightly misleading. The club had been in negotiations with Bielsa, who identified seven players he wished for them to sign. Lazio failed to sign any and instead sold a total of uh, 16 players from the prior season squad. But it wasn't the squad itself that led to his departure, but rather a lack of trust. More on the importance of trust later. And then there's the obvious example of Leeds United, one of England's biggest clubs historically uh, in the championship when he takes over, now back in the Premier League because I would say largely his vision and coaching ability got a mid-table squad almost promoted in his first year and very much promoted in his second So what we can see is that Bielsa likes tough gigs, and I think a big part of that is because they give him the creative freedom to do what he wants when it comes to player recruitment, and that often leads to success, which is our third point. He gives opportunities to players as long as they're willing to work and willing to think to challenge themselves. For Chile, immediately upon being hired in 2007, he proceeded to give debuts to youngsters who would go on to make the knockout round of the 2010 World Cup before again losing to Brazil. But that was a team that Johan Cruyff said played the most attractive soccer of anyone at the World Cup. That was also a Chile squad with a 21-year-old Mauricio Isla, a 23-year-old Arturo Vidal, a 22-year-old Gary Medel, and a 21-year-old Alexis Sanchez, who credits Bielsa with the sort of rise of his career and how he got to the peak of his powers way back when. Along the way, Bielsa oversaw Chile's first competitive victory over Argentina, leading to the sacking of his successor for La Albiceleste, Alfio Basile, and he helped Chile qualify for the 2010 World Cup after they had failed to do so, as I said before, in 2002 and 2006. When he was manager of Athletic Bilbao, he brought over Ander Herrera in 2011 for $8 million and Aritz Aderiz in 2012 for $2.75 million. Herrera was sold to Manchester United for $39.6 million in 2014. That's a solid return. And Aderiz, who was brought back to the club for his third stint at the age of 30, is still playing at the age of 40. He's made more than 230 appearances and has scored 96 goals. Bielsa was some advanced scouting there. When Bielsa was hired by Lille in May of 2017, he informed several veteran players that they could leave before preseason had even begun. Bielsa's contract was terminated in November of that same year, but the four main youngsters he had brought into the team that he thought he could build around, he spent a total of $30.8 million on those four. They would go on to be sold for over $137.4 million uh, in the next two seasons, with a sizable chunk coming from the net gain of $77 million for Nicola Pepe. My favorite of these types of stories is when he took over Argentina. He phoned then-River Plate manager Manuel Pellegrini to inform him that Bielsa wanted to call up a 19-year-old central midfielder who had not yet played for River's first team. That man was Javier Mascherano, who is today still the most capped player in the history of the Argentina national team. He's also a central midfielder who could play center back. Again, Bielsa influence. 
And then there's that Lazio example I mentioned previously, in which none of his potential signings were acquired, and he walked. The shortness of his tenure at Lazio was not an entitled manager not getting the toys he wanted and walking away. It was one side not living up to their end of the agreement, and that was all that was needed for Bielsa to know it wasn't going to work. And that honesty and approach is another reason why he's so revered. Much more on Marcelo Bielsa still to come, but first a word from today's sponsors. Today's episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN lets you change your online location so you can control where you want sites to think you're located. You might be located in Chicago, but you can make ExpressVPN say that you're in the Netherlands or Canada or anywhere else. Magical places like the Netherlands and Canada. They are kind of magical. All you have to do is open the app, select the location, tap one button to connect, and refresh the page to access thousands of new shows and movies because if you are saying you're from that country, then you're accessing the content available to people from that country. So you can then supercharge your Netflix subscription, for example, with uh, a lot more content. You've got The Dark Knight and Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Canadian Netflix. Again, Canada doing things. Rick and Morty on French Netflix. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on Australian Netflix. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. And it works with any streaming service, be it Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube. And that means if you are not from the United States and you're listening to this, first of all, I know you don't call it soccer. I'm not changing what I'm saying. And secondly, you can finally access the free streaming service Peacock. Just change your location to the United States. You can stream in HD no problem. That means no buffering or lag, and it's compatible with all your devices. Go to expressvpn.com slash soccer to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash soccer to get an extra three months for free. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to the show. Welcome back to this episode of Soccer 101, in which we're discussing the reasons why Marcelo Bielsa is so beloved. We've covered the first three. His overall philosophy is one that speaks to the heart of every soccer fan. He goes after difficult jobs that aren't going to be easy, and he gives chances to anyone willing to think or work. And it occurs to me that that's without even mentioning Calvin Phillips, who, when Marcelo Bielsa took over in the summer of 2018, uh, was an academy player who had not really come good and had a market value of $5.5 million. Not even three years later, that valuation now stands at $30 million, and they have fought off suitors for Calvin Phillips because he is so good and so important to that team. There's also the Patrick Bamford reclamation project at Leeds. Not a player I ever thought was going to be a consistent Premier League goal scorer, and yet here we are. So again, he's giving those chances to players willing to work, willing to push themselves. Our fourth reason why Marcelo Bielsa is so beloved is because, much like Omar Little from The Wire, he lives by a code. Or maybe paraphrasing Tony Montana a little bit, you're only as good as your word, and if you tell Marcelo Bielsa you're going to sign certain players or do certain things, and then you fail to do so... That's all he needs to know. At uh, Chile, he threatened to resign if Jorge Segovia was elected president of the federation. He was. Bielsa did. At Marseille, Bielsa felt the terms of his agreement had not been met, and he said au revoir. There's the Lazio example we've mentioned a couple times already, and there's the Leeds Spygate controversy, which we'll get to a little bit later. But for purposes of this point, I will just say that when the fine was issued to Leeds, Bielsa insisted upon paying it himself because he broke the rules, even though he didn't agree that he did. But since he technically did, he was willing to pay the price, literally and figuratively. 
And it's that sort of intensity, that steadfastness in his belief that what is right is right and what is wrong is wrong that influences the way he's perceived, the way he's covered. It reminds me of Eric Cantona after he uh, kicked a fan of the face, was banned. When he comes back, when he's asked about why he gets such attention, his response is when the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they expect sardines to be thrown into the sea. Which sounds like something a lunatic would say until you sort of delve deeper and realize what he's saying is basically that, like, you all are following me because I do weird things. And if you expect me to do weird things, you're going to keep following. I think so often Bielsa's quotes and what he says get distorted for purposes of making them seem more outlandish when, in fact, they're pretty straightforward. Case in point would be a profile of Bielsa written by Sid Lowe for The Guardian back in the spring of 2012 when Bielsa's athletic Bilbao squad had just drawn two all with Villarreal. After the match, Bielsa was asked about his peculiar touchline behavior with the reporter inquiring whether or not it was a coincidence that every Villarreal attack, Bielsa would get up from his crouched position and pace to the other side of the technical area, taking exactly 13 steps. What was the significance? What was the meaning? Was it a coincidence? And Bielsa, looking down, speaking quietly, as is his style, responded, What is coincidence is that when there's such a nice game going on, someone spends time counting my paces. His story is filled with moments like this. In the Amazon documentary Take Us Home, Bielsa is asked if he feels disappointment with a frustrating loss and concerns that the season is slipping away. The Argentine snorts in eye-rolling frustration and simply responds in Spanish, always Spanish, the answer is in the question. He doesn't suffer fools. He wants to talk about the basics, about the details, about the game. He doesn't want to get into all that other stuff because if you can get past the surface weirdness, he tends to provide genius explanations of everything that's happening. Again, he will tell you what's happening if you ask him the right way because he has a code and that code is rooted in honesty. So we have a manager who likes difficult challenges, is willing to give opportunities to unproven youngsters or veterans who have been cast aside or written off. He plays attractive attacking soccer with fluidity and goals. It's no wonder that so many of the coaches we've come to appreciate today have their roots in Bielsa ball. Tata Martino and Gabriel Ince, Mauricio Pochettino, Diego Simeone, Matias Almeida, Mauricio Pellegrini, Santi Solari, and Marcelo Gallardo all played for Bielsa at some point, and his methods clearly had an impact. When these coaches speak about him or their experiences, it genuinely sounds like they've been through war. And I think there's almost a Bielsa indoctrination. I'm trying not to say brainwashing, but a sort of indoctrination that occurs. Every single one of these former players turned managers has a reputation similar to Bielsa, demanding in every aspect of the game, playing with intensity and physicality, moving players into different roles to see what they do. And so we come to our fifth reason for why Bielsa is so adored, his approach to scouting and training, both the intensity of that, but also the uniqueness. I am recording this just after the start of the 2021 MLS season, and much has been made of the physical demands of Gabriel Ince at Atlanta United and Hernan Lozada at DC United. Guess where they learned that? That Amazon documentary I mentioned previously provides an answer as players are weighed and body fat is measured with a regularity that prevents most of the squad from even considering getting takeout. As leads right back Luke Ayling bemoans on several occasions, Calvin Phillips' look of anxiety and pretty much pure dread uh, just before his physical and preseason training where they're going to measure his body fat and fitness is worth the price of season two alone. But the emphasis on fitness helps Leeds maintain its attacking verve and also provides the necessary foundation for Bielsa's preferred defensive approach, man-marking, and high-pressing. 
Unlike many other high-press systems, which emphasize cutting off passing lanes, Bielsa's teams go man for man, which, when they slack off, leaves them vulnerable to conceding easily. If you're an MLS fan, Matias Almeida is a disciple of Bielsa, and we've seen many times the beauty of the system when it works, as well as the horrors of conceding seven when it doesn't. To help get around that, Bielsa conducts training in a way that tends to confound new signings. He often opts for specialization at the micro level. He's focusing on individual movements, individual sequences to help them become automatic. Here's Jack Harrison talking about training at Leeds. To work on these exercises that are so specific, you have to pass the ball in a certain way and run in a certain direction. It's very interesting to see how Marcelo sees the game and what he wants from his players. Some examples of this type of training would be having defenders practice the area of the 18 in which they are meant to aggressively step and win 50-50 balls versus the areas in which they're supposed to drop off and focus on other defensive priorities. He likes 1v1 drills in targeted areas of the field to bring about a specific outcome. So maybe it's a 1v1 battle on the side of the 18 where the end result is expected to be a low cross to the near post. Yes, it is that detailed. Or it can be one-on-ones in simulated five-yard gaps between the lines. If you're playing against a very defensively solid two-banks-of-four team, you're going to work on how to get into that space and how to utilize that space. And again, he wants it to become almost automatic because if it's repetitive and if it's memorized, players can rely on it almost automatically when the pressure mounts. And Bielsa expects his teams to be able to solve problems and continue operating under extreme physical and emotional pressure, and he conducts his training accordingly, which means it's time to talk about Murder Ball. Yes, his drill is called Murder Ball. It's essentially the most intense scrimmage you can imagine. Balls are either not allowed to go out of bounds, which I guess means they put barriers up, or more often, they just have balls all around the outside of the field, so as soon as it goes out of bounds, it has to be put back into play. Everything is high intensity. You are never not running as hard as you can. The coaches are on the field. They are actively coaching, which means they are screaming at you when you make a mistake. The point is that you are constantly being challenged with instructions while simultaneously having to figure it out while playing at an extremely high high tempo. And that's his approach to players he has already signed. Uh, For players he has not yet signed, Bielsa is known to have one of the most detailed archives of players the world over, and advances in technology have helped him streamline his approach to video analysis. But even before Scout and Opta, Bielsa rivaled the CIA and the KGB when it comes to keeping tabs on people, hence his ability to identify a 19-year-old Javier Mascherano. He did even better than that when he signed a 14-year-old Mauricio Pochettino, based primarily on the intelligence he showed when they first met. And then the shape of his legs, which he checked on when he showed up at Pochettino's house at 2 a.m. and Pochettino was sleeping, looked at the legs and said, that's good enough. As far as the intelligence showed, I love that story as well. Pochettino was from a small village, had been scouted. He'd been playing as a center forward because he was the best player in the area. When he goes to his trial and and, uh, he meets Bielsa, Bielsa asks him, you're a center forward, right? Pochettino says, oh, no, I'm a center back. Bielsa says, well, my scouts have told me that you're a goal scorer. You're a center forward. What do you mean? And Pochettino responded, I'm a center forward where I play because I'm the best player. But here, I'm a natural defender. That's where I prefer to play. And a player at that age recognizing his own limitations and where he needed to work or improve was sort of all Bielsa needed to know. We will continue to talk about Marcelo Bielsa's approach to training and preparation in just a second. But first, a word from today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Blue Chew. It's been quite a year. Personally, I do feel like I've aged. Uh, the copy says 12 years. I feel yeah, like 15 years. It feels like it's been 15 years over the last 12 months. 
And if you too are maybe feeling your age, feeling that time pass by, and if you want to change things up, get a little spring in your step or a little spring elsewhere, then Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets are incredibly effective at helping men combat all forms of erectile dysfunction. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so that means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. If you're Marcelo Bielsa, who doesn't need Blue Chew because I think he has the virility of a thousand men, but it means you don't have to take your time away from uh, doing a bunch of video analysis. You don't have to then drive to the pharmacy and then come back. That You could miss important footage. Nobody needs that. Uh, but they will just send it right to your door. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers will work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. And again, if you don't like swallowing pills, not a problem. You can just chew these. So if you'd like to give it a try, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code SOCCER at checkout. Just pay for the $5 in shipping. That's BlueChew.com promo code SOCCER to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. We have been talking about the intensity of Marcelo Bielsa when it comes to how he prepares, how he trains, how he gets his players ready to go. But that same commitment to being prepared can lead to problems. For example, the Spygate controversy at Leeds. Uh, if you are unfamiliar, basically a scout, an employee, an intern, I think is what they always go with, uh, for Leeds United was caught watching the Derby County practice session. There are reports that he had wire cutters and had cut his way through a fence. There are reports he was filming Leeds didn't comment on some, rejected other ideas. Uh, but the way Bielsa handled it is maybe the most amazing moment I can think of when it comes to a press conference. Bielsa called members of the media in for an impromptu press conference. There were some expect expectations that maybe he was going to walk because in the past, when confronted by perceived bad actions, he would stick to his code and say goodbye. But in this case, he delivered a 70-minute presentation on the work that had gone into scouting Darby County. The goal was to demonstrate how much effort is put into preparation versus how little of a role that intern filming video might have played. But even then he apologized. He tried to explain the cultural differences, claiming that that sort of observation is more common in Argentina. And as I said previously, ended up paying the fine himself. He did acknowledge I, I have my people scout all of my opponents uh, before games. This is a thing that's done. This is how I understand it to be when it comes to sort of preparing for your games. And in that, it was him sort of like, oh, this admission of guilt. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he does this. And if, again, if you read actually what he's saying, he's admitting like, yeah, this is what makes sense to me. This is what I was taught culturally. I didn't realize this isn't how I'm supposed to be over here, so I won't do that anymore. But it's that honesty, it's that vulnerability that I think makes him so special. But that honesty and that vulnerability lead to the final reason why I think Bielsa is held in such high regard. And it's essentially that he's a cautionary tale, that I think he's a man who sticks to his guns no matter what. He will not break his word, and that means that he will move on, he will leave a job, he will not take a job, even if it's a very lucrative one where he's going to have tons of resources. If it doesn't fit with what he wants, then it doesn't fit. And that means he's taking over clubs that will give him the freedom, at least for a little while, to do what he wants, but maybe not win that much. And that lack of winning silverware, that lack of constantly being at the top of the world game, 
is why I think coaches look up to him. This is my own theory, to be clear, but I think on some level, a lot of his disciples think they're better than him. He is effectively a flawed genius that can be both inspirational and motivational, but also stubborn, demanding, and intense. He's a brilliant tactician who paved the way for analytics and video analysis and training, but maybe sometimes at the expense of seeing his players as humans. He's so devoted to his beliefs in attacking soccer that he will die by the sword rather than live by parking the bus. And so he hasn't won every single thing like Pep Guardiola. He hasn't won three straight Champions League trophies like Zinedine Zidane or won multiple Champions Leagues with different clubs like Carlo Ancelotti. But I think if you're an up-and-coming manager and you're looking to Pep or Zidane or Ancelotti as your mentor, as your sort of guiding principle, inevitably you're going to compare yourself to what they've done and how they've won. If you're not starting off coaching Barcelona when they're at maybe their strongest, uh, then you're already a step behind. If you're not managing Real Madrid having had a wildly successful playing career, then you're a step behind. And if you aren't winning with multiple Champions League teams and then making Everton really good, maybe you're not going to be Carlo Ancelotti either. And if you're comparing yourself to those types of managers, you're just trying to win more stuff than the last guy. And that makes them not inspirations. It makes them competition. But if you can take the things you like most about a man and then add your own philosophy to it, then they become a mentor. Then they become an inspiration. Diego Simeone followed in Bielsa's approach when it comes to discipline and details, but less so when it comes to expansive attacking soccer. Matias Almeida loves the man marking, but put his own spin on it. Pochettino likes his style, but goes for a bear hug when necessary, whereas Bielsa would go for an awkward nod and a polite smile and then immediately exiting the area. In essence, it's the idea that Bielsa, because he hasn't had a ton of silver and a ton of success... It always creates the, well, what could I do differently to achieve that success? What can I take from him, this genius when it comes to tactics and training and the way you're looking at things, and then add a little bit of spin that does push it over that line, that does push it to that next level? He becomes a building block as opposed to competition. And I think fundamentally people love a person that inspires versus a person who makes them feel less than. So with all that said... My basic explanation for why Marcelo Bielsa is so respected is this. He plays attractive, exciting soccer with teams that are frequently more than the sum of their parts and players who inevitably end up talking about him in adoring tones. He's never going to take a big money gig because he's loyal to his principles, which also means he's unlikely to win football's biggest prizes. And that means for the managers who embrace his approach, there remains the tantalizing possibility of tweaking some details just enough for it all to click and the Champions League trophies come pouring in. Of course, if Bielsa ever won the Champions League, he would most likely spend his post-match press conference talking about why midfield overloads are so important and a shiny trophy is not. For Marcelo Bielsa, it's about how you win, not what you win. And that's a belief we all like to think we'd follow, but isn't always as easy in practice. And with that, we've come to the end of another Soccer 101 episode. If you liked this episode, if you liked the story of Marcelo Bielsa and my sort of theories about him, please feel free to share. Please tell your friends about it because we want people to know about Soccer 101. We've covered many topics that are relevant to today, regardless of when you're listening to this. I guarantee you there's a topic in there that will still be of use. So please check out the back catalog. Tell your friends about Soccer 101 and please keep listening. We very much appreciate it. But for now, I've been Taylor Rockwell. He's been Marcelo Bielsa. I'll talk to you all soon.